come on now. Man, Coldplay. That's, uh, I think that was the first concert that I uh, saw at the MTS Center. That was awesome. I uh, have a bunch of friends in Vancouver, and I think Coldplay was out there um, just recently, and I saw all their snaps and their instas, and it was sick. Oh, all right, that's like pump-up jam for me. That's what that is. Uh, if you are a guest with us this morning, uh, we want a record of your visit. We want to be able to give you a bit of a gift. Uh, so we have these cards on your chair. If you can't find them on your chair, or if uh, you were dancing too hard earlier and they got knocked off, uh, you can find them at our Welcome Center. It's a simple card. It's, it's asked for your name. It asks for your email. And it asks for your phone. And uh, it's just a card that we can connect with you throughout the week. One of our pastors would love to talk to you. I'd love to ask you about your visit here and uh, just invite you back. So just as welcome home, because like I said earlier, this is a family. We consider this our home. Whew. So if you missed it, uh, my name is Jordan. I work with our high school students here. I, I have that, uh, that distinct pleasure, as I would call it. Uh, it's been a slow process of God refining my heart as far as uh, where he wants me to be. And uh, right here with our high school students is where I know uh, that I need to be, and it's incredible. I want you to know, uh, especially like I just said, if, if you're new here, that this is home for you too, that uh, we are an adoptive family. Uh, we are a, a dysfunctional family. Uh, we'll let you know before we include you in the family that uh, we're not perfect, and we are going to uh, fl fly that flag of imperfection happily. Uh, but we know that you're imperfect too, and that there is plenty more room in our family. So we need you to know that. Uh, this morning you saw, you saw examples of how Jesus changed, or Jesus has changed lives through our baptism stories. And uh, we believe that Jesus wants you right where you're at this morning. That, that if you are in this place, that he's placed you here for a very specific purpose and reason. And, and this morning we're going to uh, look at, at a story of Jesus, and, uh, and Jesus and his followers. But before we get into that, uh, let's pray. So Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your faithfulness. God, I thank you for the seven people that got into that tub and got baptized this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have incredible things planned for their lives. God, that they are made for so much. And uh, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit convicts hearts that need to be convicted this morning. Lord Jesus, draw us near to you. And may the words I speak be from you, and, and may you reveal yourself to those of us who need to hear you. In your name, amen. So here at Seoul, we pick a book of the Bible, and we walk through it from beginning to end. And when you do that, you, uh, you can't skip over the inconvenient parts of Scripture. And uh, the things that are hard truths stand out to you because you're forced to address them. Uh, but today, we, we, we are starting a new series. And uh, our new series is, is called Jesus and. And if you remember back a couple weeks, we were in a series called The Upside Down Kingdom. And The Upside Down Kingdom took us through chapters 1 to 9 of the book of Matthew. And we're like, oh, you're going to stop at chapter 9? No, we're just going to rebrand it because we've been in Matthew for a year. And we're probably going to be in Matthew for two more years as we, as we try to get through it. So we're just going to call it something new so that it stays fresh, all right? So Jesus and. And specifically today, we're going to talk about Jesus and his disciples. So I'm going to encourage you to open your Bibles, if you have them here, maybe on your iPhone or whatever else, to the book of Matthew, chapter 10. We are going to focus on four verses this morning. Matthew 10, 1, 2, 3, and 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, they will be up on the Bible in the sky. The, the message today is simply Jesus and his disciples. 
So we look to the scriptures, Matthew 10, and it says to us, He called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And with that, that's where we're going to camp this morning. But I, I have some questions uh, before we go any further into that. And uh, how many of you know this to be true? How many of you know that the, the sequel is never as good as the original? Track with me for a second. I know we went from the Bible to movies, but, but trust me, all right? How many of you know the original is way better than the sequel? Put up your hand if you know that to be true, all right? You've seen some terrible sequels. Apparently the youth are the only ones that watch movies, and one person in that section. Okay. Uh, but you know the, the, the power of a terrible sequel, but you also know the power of an incredible original. Think about it for a moment. Matrix. If you've seen Matrix, you know. Yeah, come on now. So, Matrix, it ushered in this new way to think critically about technology for, for, well, it wasn't my generation, let's be honest, it was the generation before me, but, but it, it, they started thinking critically about technology for the first time. And it was awesome. Now think about Matrix 2. Yeah, you can't, right? Because it was that bad, right? We didn't need to improve on the Matrix movie because the original is always better than the sequel. And now, now think of this one, Jaws, all right? Think about Jaws. If you ever had an older sibling and you've ever swam with them in a Manitoba lake and they stood on the dock and were like, darn it, darn it, well, you swam in the water, you know that feeling of panic as you were like, Ch -ch -ch -ch, as fast as you could to get to the dock, right? Because Jaws did something for our society, right? It made us afraid of the water. It made us afraid of sharks. Now think about Jaws 2. You can't, right? Because the original in this instance is always better than the sequel. In more recent memory, the movie Taken. Anybody seen Taken? All right, it's Liam Neeson. He's got that iconic line on the phone. It's like, I will, what does he say? I will look for you. I will find you. And I will, yeah, welcome to church. I will kill you. That's what he says. All right. I, but that, that, that's him in the movie. But think about Taken 2. Again, it's difficult because the original set the standard. And anything else was just man's attempt to, to improve something to make a couple more bucks. And now if you're, so that I don't get angry emails from people who love sequels, there are a couple notable exceptions, and I'll just quickly mention them. Lord of the Rings, we all know that the two towers had way more action than the Fellowship of the Ring. That's great. Love it. Star Wars people are the ones who send the most vicious emails, so right, yeah, we get it. The Star Wars sequels are way better. All right, moving on. So, to be a little more relatable if you're not a movie person, uh, pop, soda, whatever you call it, Coke or Pepsi, think, of, think about it for a minute. If you're a Coke person, throw it up. People are usually opinionated on this, all right? Okay. A couple passionate ones in the front row. You need to drink less sugar. You won't grow. All right, Pepsi people. Anybody? Okay, all right. See, people have an opinion. And if you're like, if you adhere to the clan that's like sugary beverages are bad for you, let's see it. Come on. All right, hey, we love all people here, all right? Even the ones who don't like sugar, that's fine. Think about this for a minute. Pepsi drinkers, we're going to start with you. This is very true for you. Would you rather have Pepsi or Pepsi Blue? You cannot, in good conscience, say Pepsi Blue. Most of you don't remember Pepsi Blue because all it was was repurposed Windex, hit with sugar, and sold in a fancy new bottle. 
And it was terrible. And in this instance, Pepsi took their product, which was working for them, right? They were like, they were selling, they were outselling Coke in India, which was a huge deal at that time. Uh, Pepsi took their product, which was, which was fine as it is. We could drink Pepsi as it was, but they made Pepsi blue. And what did it do? It did nothing. It flopped. It failed. It was not good. Pepsi blue did not succeed to where they thought it would be. In fact, it brought the brand back. It was short-lived change. They tried to make it better. It didn't happen. And Coke people, now, this, this happened in 1985. So, again, not my generation. I learned about it in a marketing class that I took. Uh, but in 1985, Coke released a product. And maybe some of you, I see some smiles and some of the gray hairs up in here, all right? They're like, yeah, we know where you're going with this. So, 1985, Coke released a new product called New Coke. And they said, we are improving on the original recipe. This is going to be so good. That, that people are going to love this. And they launched New Coke. And if you ever wondered why Coca-Cola used to say Coca-Cola Classic on it, it's because New Coke absolutely exploded in their face. People were rioting outside Coke headquarters, pouring New Coke down the drains because they were this passionate about New Coke, uh, about how much they hated New Coke and wanted the old recipe back. So what did Coke do, of course? They, they, they bent to the will of the people, they reintroduced Coca-Cola Coca Classic, which was their original, and then New Coke died and was off the shelves in a couple years. Here's the thing. Coke took something that was already loved by people. It, it took their original formula, their original recipe, which was loved across the globe. And they tried to make it better. They tried really, really hard to improve on that recipe. And what happened? The result was devastation that could have been avoided in the first place if they just kept selling product number one. Now, we, we look to the scriptures again with this lesson in mind. And, and what we can learn from movies and soft drinks can be tied in directly to our passage this morning. We have been given a simple list of names. And when you go through, the book of, uh, through a book of the Bible and every verse, chunk it out, you have to address things like this. Why does it just list 12 people? And we're going to learn in later weeks what Jesus then says to these 12 people. But today, we're going to focus on these 12 disciples and, and who they were as individuals. The foundational and arguably most important lesson to be learned here is on the screen for you right now. It's that Jesus calls and subsequently uses ordinary people. That step one in responding to Jesus is not getting your life in order, trying to become new, trying to become worthy of him by your own power, but rather being obedient to him and beginning to live a life in response to his death on the cross for our sins. And this morning is a hopeful reminder for you. That is my prayer, that regardless of where you've been or regardless of what you've done, that you sitting in here right now, you watching on the live stream right now, have a future and a hope in Jesus Christ. Some of you in here right now, you might be at the lowest of your low. You might be completely ashamed. You might be broken and lost. Maybe you're sitting in here being like, I totally don't belong in church. Nothing could be further from the truth. I need you to know that there is hope for you today. When we start looking at the passage, there's a name that pops up. And, and in fact, we're going to backtrack a little bit. If you remember a couple weeks ago, uh, we preached on Matthew 9. And it was uh, the story of Matthew, the calling of Matthew the tax collector. And it, essentially, there's this dude named Matthew who's sitting at his tax booth. Uh, and he is collecting taxes 
when Jesus rolls by and is like, hey, Matthew, come follow me. And he calls Matthew out from his tax booth. And we looked at the significance of that because Matthew as a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector working on behalf of the colonial Roman power at that time, he is the lowest of the low in the societal ladder. He is at the bottom rung. In fact, in, in, in the Old Testament law, we can, we can talk and we can ex, or, or we can study and see how tax collectors were grouped into the same classification as murderers. That is where they sat in society. They were betrayers because how could you betray your own people and work for our oppressors, Rome? And not only that, they were cheats and Matthew was a cheat. He took people's money. He, he collected more than their taxes. He was like, oh, you owe 10 bucks to Rome? No, now you owe 20. I'm going to slip Rome their 10, and I'm going to put the other 10 in my pocket. That was the kind of dude that Matthew was. We talked about, Jesus, about how Jesus could have gone to the synagogue, found a, a great, well-raised, well-intentioned, smart, young Jewish boy, and was like, hey, come follow me. But instead, he reached out. Jesus Christ reached out to the person that nobody else would touch to the person who, who is relegated to the back of the line. Jesus reached out and said, hey, follow me. This is just the beginning for you. And, and what we learn from the words Matthew, the tax collector represented in this passage, is that the mission is exercised by sinners who have been transformed by grace. It, it, it's not saints without problems. But Jesus works through debtors. He, he doesn't work through creditors. Well, he does, but he works through debtors. He works through broken people. That is what we're trying to get at. So together we walk through that passage. We learn very quickly this lesson. He works through broken people. And now we're going to look at the 11 other apostles that Jesus called. Again, a series of names. It requires in-depth study. We've got to take a look at this. So, so how do we make sense of this? We look into Scripture and we look, look into church history and we say, what can we learn when we bring these sources together? What can we learn about these names? These were, this was Jesus' close crew. This was his homies. This was the people that he loved. These were the people who spent the most time around him. They witnessed healings. They witnessed miracles right in front of their eyes. And in Matthew 10, right here, Jesus has them lined up, and he's about to give them a Braveheart-esque speech. He's about to just empower them and encourage them on towards doing incredible things. They're going to take the mission of Jesus, what he's been doing with them for the last little bit, and they're going to carry it on further. Here in our text, these 12 are mentioned as the 12 disciples, the 12 students of Jesus. And it's important to note right off the bat that Jesus did not come to establish a hierarchy in his followers. Jesus came to call the average, to call the basic together as one. On the same equal playing field. We look at religion nowadays and we like to establish hierarchies. Like only pastors can, ba only pastors can baptize. Not true, right? We look to the scriptures and we don't find that exact example. We see... People baptizing and baptizing and baptizing. And in the church, we like to build these hierarchies. Our society likes the hierarchies. But Jesus says, hey, you 12, let's go. When you're picturing Jesus' disciples here, it's important to picture a group of probably teenagers. All of them definitely under 30 years age, of age. And the youngest of them probably around the age of 13. And he's got 12 of them together. These are young men that Jesus called to follow him. And in fact, these young men were just like you and I. They had their issues. 
They were from a diverse range of backgrounds. They had classes. They had different political leanings. They were individuals who had hurt and personal issues. They were not the cream of the crop, but they were simply responding to Jesus and to the call that he has on their lives. It's that same call that every single one of us in this room will hear, and the same call that we have to make a decision as to embracing or fleeing from. When we look at some of the disciples who are mentioned here, let's see what the Bible and history says about them. First off, right off the bat, we got Simon, we got Andrew, we got James, and we got John. And what we know about these four is that they were all simple fishermen. They were not super smart. They were not highly educated. They got up in the morning, got into their boats, cast out their net, brought in the fish, sold the fish, went to bed, did it day after day after day until they encountered Jesus. We got Simon specifically, a fisherman. He got to know Jesus in a very deep and personal way. And Simon, he's the one who's also called Peter. So if you've ever heard stories about Peter, or a guy named Peter, this is who we're talking about. So Simon was his name at first. And after getting to know Jesus, he walked on water. And then he had this moment while he's walking on water, and you can read it in the, in the scripture, where he begins to doubt and he begins to sink in the water. And if, if that doesn't tell you, man, Jesus is real, you're, you're walking on water, I'm not sure what is going to. Uh, in Matthew 16, it's interesting. Peter has this, this very di- interesting relationship with Jesus. Because in Matthew 16, uh, Jesus calls him my rock, where he, where he gives Peter this name, rock. He says, on you I'm going to build my church. And then just a couple of verses later, Jesus is like, yo, Satan, get behind me, when talking to Peter. And so Peter is this guy who, who he's polarizing. He, he's got one side of him that seems to like, yeah, Jesus, yeah, Jesus, yeah, Jesus. And the other side of him is filled with doubt. And he often gets a bad rap. In, in the, the church, he, as this kind of flippy, floppy kind of guy. Because he denies Jesus three times right before Jesus' crucifixion. And this Peter character, like I said, he gets a bad rap. But we're going to come back to him in a little bit. We continue through the list of apostles, and we get to James and John. Brothers, simple fishermen, but also racists who could not control their tempers. They hated the Samaritan people who were half Jewish, half pagan, probably Assyrian. And and they had a disdain for who these people were. The Samaritans were known as mixed bloods. Their blood was polluted, as you might say. And after being in a Samaritan village and having their message rejected, the message that they were carrying with Jesus, they turned around to Jesus and they were like, Jesus, destroy this town. They don't like what we got to say, like wipe them off the face of the earth. They knew the power that Jesus had, and they were encouraging Jesus to literally like smite this village. And of course, Jesus being Jesus doesn't do it because he loves people. But here we have these two angry, racist followers of Jesus, and they got to work this out. Where's the redemption for them? It's going to come. But then we can look to these two, and to add insult to injury, they're, they're a little bit of mama's boys. Because the scripture tells us that their mom approached Jesus and was like, hey Jesus, when you get to heaven, could one of my boys be on your right and one of my boys be on your left? Like, please? Like, can they be the favorite? And so when we look at James and John, we do not have perfect, happy, shiny, bubbly, 
Christian young boys. Uh, we have Thomas, known as Doubting Thomas. Thomas didn't believe that Jesus came back from the grave. Again, he gets a bad rap for that. We'll talk about him in a minute. We have Philip, Bartholomew, Thaddeus, and the other James. Uh, all who are mentioned in the Gospels, but we actually know more about their life after encountering Jesus than we do before encountering Jesus. And, and given today's political climate, especially in the United States, which obviously we all know, you can't turn on the national and not, not watch what's going on every night. Two members of Jesus' crew hit us with particular intrigue. We have Matthew the tax collector, who I mentioned earlier, and we have Simon the zealot. Now, we already talked about how Matthew was hated by the Jews because he worked in partnership with the Romans and ripped off the Jews in the process. But on this team that was assembled was also Simon the zealot. And if you're familiar with the term zealot and what it meant at that time, you know that Jewish zealots in the first century of the Common Era sought to overthrow Roman occupation. They had a deep-seated hatred for any Jew who worked on behalf of Rome. They were murderers and assassins. If you look into the, the organizations, the, the zealot groups that formed, they murdered and killed people in an attempt to get Rome out. Yet Jesus takes one of the guys who works for Rome and one of the guys who kills to get rid of Rome, and he brings them together. There is a, arguably no better example of unity in the body of Christ than what Jesus does when he calls these disciples together. They're polar opposites, and Jesus says, hey, no, there's something bigger at play here. There's people who need a Savior, so put your differences aside for just one second and listen up. This doesn't read like an all-star lineup, the guys that we have here, who along with their baggage and issues, they weren't great people, but they were called to something bigger. And I'd like to suggest to you this morning that the selection and sending off of Jesus' disciples was absolutely no accident. That Jesus knew exactly what he was doing in choosing those who didn't have it all together. He outlined an example for the church throughout history to follow. For you and me to follow. If you've ever thought of the church as, as just a, a, a group of Christians who have it all together, the happy, shiny people, the comfortable churchianity... I'm here to tell you that's not what Jesus ever intended for it to be. And that's definitely not what we strive to be here at Seoul. We're not happy, shiny people. We're people with baggage. We're, we're people who have hurt others and who have been hurt by others. We're people who have fallen over and over and over again. We are people who are physically, emotionally, and mentally sick. We are people who have doubts and who ask loads of questions. We're people who hurt deeply when we consider the political and environmental state of our world. But more important than any of those realities, we here are people who have encountered Jesus Christ. We are people who have experienced what it means to be forgiven we're people who know that no matter how many times that we fall over and over and over again, that His grace is sufficient for us. We're people that get up on a Sunday morning, fight with the family in the vehicle, show up to church, 
And we know that because we are dead in our sin, that we have been raised to life through Jesus Christ. And we have a peace that, that, that transcends understanding because of it. We know that a life with Jesus can bring us so much more than we could have ever accomplished on our own. We look to the book of Psalm 25, verses 8 and 9. It says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. It's good morning saints, good morning sinners, and the sinner is always louder here. He leads the humble in what is right. To say, hey, I don't have it all together. I don't, but I'm going to embrace the grace that he has for me. And he will instruct me a sinner in the way. Now we pause, we look back at the text. We find one name tacked on to this passage. That is a name that is infamous around the world. The twelfth. We have Judas Iscariot. And it's one of the tough questions. We're faced with the reality that Jesus called his own betrayer. Why? Jesus could have chosen anybody, and he chooses the guy that he knows is going to stab him in the back and hand him over to his death. Jesus calls his betrayer first because he wanted to prepare his disciples and prepare the church today. And hear me out on this one. He reminds us through the person of Judas to not be surprised or discouraged when scandals break out. When human beings that we trusted choose to embrace their selfish nature, things like greed, instead of embracing the grace that Jesus offered us, we learn that sharp lesson through Judas. More importantly, he called his betrayer because he came to be betrayed. He came as the Son of God, as a living sacrifice for our sins, to be betrayed, to be nailed to a cross, to three days later rise again and send his Holy Spirit for generations and generations to come, testifying to his goodness, testifying to his love for all humanity. Judas betrayed Jesus, but Jesus called Judas to make much of the glory of his grace. The names of the twelve disciples in Matthew 10, they spell out a very clear reality for us. That Jesus calls us not based on our merit, but based on his generosity. And in calling us, he equips us to carry out his message to a world who, oh my gosh, so desperately needs it. Matthew's list teaches us that a church, a community of Christ followers, that in that and through that, Jesus is going to use a diverse array of people to fulfill his mission. It teaches us that grace is freely offered to all. That no matter how ordinary you might be, you have a place in his kingdom. That there is no need for you to try to pump out a better sequel. There's no need for you, for, for you to pump out a better sequel to your life before Jesus chooses to embrace you. That he is ready and willing to take you in. That you don't need to become a new flavor or, or have a new recipe before Jesus says, Hey, no, you're mine. Just respond to my simple call. And so we ask ourselves, what came of these disciples? Where, where were they at? 
Simon Peter and John in Acts 4 spoke boldly in front of a Jewish court. And, and the court officials, the scripture recounts, were baffled that such peasant men had such incredible knowledge. That they spoke with so much wisdom. And of course, a wisdom that could only be given to them by Jesus. We look at Peter. Peter went on to plant churches after churches and eventually to be murdered in Rome. Tradition tells of Peter being forced to watch his own wife be crucified. And as he watches, watches Peter, or as Peter watched his wife, it's recounted that Peter simply said, remember the Lord. And after watching his wife be crucified, was crucified himself. And at his own insistence, said, don't crucify me right side up. Because I don't deserve to die in the same way my Savior did. And as such, Peter was crucified upside down. We look at John, James' brother, the racist. Jesus literally calls him a son of thunder. That describes his personality. He was banished by the Roman emperor to the island of Patmos where he lived until his death. He significantly contributed to the New Testament before his death of natural causes. We look at Andrew, Peter's brother, known as the patron saint of the Ukraine and Russia because he helped bring the gospel north. He ended his, or his life ended when he was crucified on an X-shaped cross. We have James, the son of Zebedee, the other son of thunder. And he carried out his mission faithfully after being empowered and equipped by Jesus to go, telling others about Jesus, and was eventually put to death by the sword as ordered by Herod, as we find in Acts chapter 12. We look at Bartholomew. He faithfully took the gospel to India, and again, was murdered for it. We have Thomas. Remember Thomas, the pessimist, the doubter? He too took the gospel to India. And in, in, in an ironic turn of events, the man who needed to see the spear mark in Jesus' side was killed by a spear. And Matthew, the tax collector, he faithfully carried out his mission after being radicalized away from stealing from people. An important note about Matthew, and this is going to give somebody hope this morning, is that when Matthew was a tax collector, Jesus called him. And that night, the Bible tells us they had dinner at Matthew's house. And Matthew put food on the table for Jesus. You know Jesus? He put food on the table for Jesus that was bought with the money that he had scammed from other Jews. The, the, the hope in that is that pro, progress and process might be slow. But it's a process of life transformation when we give our lives to Jesus. Matthew ended up being burned at the stake. We have James, the son of Alphaeus. He took the gospel into Syria and Persia and he died of stoning. We have Thaddeus, took it into Mesopotamia, planted churches. Again, he was clubbed to death. We have Simon the Zealot, who went from killing others to sharing the gospel of Jesus. He carried the gospel into Egypt and he was murdered as punishment for it. There is no limit, absolutely no limit to who Jesus can call and who Jesus can change. We look to 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. Track along on the screen with me. Take a good look, friends, at, you, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see the brightest and the best among you. Not many influential, not many from high society families. 
Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? He chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. Whew, that's so good. That makes it clear, quite clear, that none of you can get by by blowing your own horn before God. Everything we have, right thinking, right living, a clean slate and a fresh start, comes from God by the way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. Here's the point. The gospel is stronger. These apostles of Jesus Christ are a direct reason why you're sitting in this chair right here, right now, in 2017. A direct reason. They planted churches. They were faithful to the call that Jesus had put on their life. They planted churches who empowered disciples and more people to carry that message out. And that message spread like wildfire. And here we are. The faithfulness of these disciples calling. It proves to us that Jesus can, can overcome the most insurmountable social, political, economic class barriers to form churches and to draw people close to him. And what we learn in Matthew 10, verses 1 to 4, is that it doesn't matter what you are. It only matters what you are willing to become. Because the truth is that Jesus brings change. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for coming to earth. We're getting crazy with your love and pursuing us. Jesus, we thank you for your death and your resurrection on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And Lord, I pray for everybody in this room who does not know you yet. That they may choose this morning to embrace your grace and embrace your love for them. With your heads bowed, eyes closed real quick here. If you're in this room and you realize you need to respond to the love of Jesus, if you realize that he's been calling you and that it's time to respond to that call, he's asking you the question, would you let me love you forever? Today is your opportunity to respond to him. The Bible tells you that you were loved before you were even born. That he knows and cares about every detail of your life. That he came to earth and died for your sin. You do not have to have all the answers figured out yet. All you have to do is say yes to grace. And yes to love. So with eyes closed real quick here this morning. If that is you and this morning you need to say yes to the love of God in your life. Then I want to invite you right now to say yes by just throwing your hand up in the air. This morning is the morning where you're saying yes to love. All over this room right now, this morning is the morning where you recognize that his love is so great for you and he desires a relationship with you. That Jesus has an absolutely crazy love for you. And the best part about that is that your forever starts today. If you accepted Jesus this morning, if you put your hand up or set it in your heart that, yeah, you know what, I need to embrace love, we really want to talk with you. 
And we want to encourage you and empower you and equip you as you begin a new life with Jesus. So if you look to your right and to your left, you're going to see crosses with some of our pastors standing there. And I encourage you to tell them about that decision. They are going to give you a big high five and a big hug and say, welcome to the family. Except for Pastor Jerry, he doesn't hug. But they're going to welcome you to the family. And your forever starts today. What are you willing to become? I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to close out this morning again with a celebration. Celebration because people have decided to give their lives to Jesus. Come on now, Christians in the house. That's your family members. Don't forget that. We're also going to celebrate because seven students got up into a hot tub and said, guess what? I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. And the band is going to play us out, and I encourage you to worship with us. But before we do that, in times of old, the one who gave a blessing raised their hands, and those receiving a blessing did likewise. So if you'd like a blessing here this morning, and if you're new here, you're like, everybody's stretching out their arms. It's nothing magic. It's just a prayer for you. So if you'd like a blessing, extend your arms this morning. As you go from here, Soul Sanctuary, may you understand the simple truth that God calls the ordinary. May you go knowing deep in your soul that you are loved and that you have a place in His kingdom. May you recognize that Jesus Christ has called you to follow Him. And may you remember that it doesn't matter what you've been, just what you're willing to become because it's Jesus Christ who changes lives. Be blessed, and we'll see you next Sunday.